I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting down the stars. And welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down, the freight sales show for closers in the freight and logistics industry. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm your host today here with my co-host, Richie Daigle from Highland Park, Chattanooga. His last, hopefully his last episode from that location. He'll be in the office in the studio next month, or not next Monday because we're moving to Tuesdays at noon starting next week. How are you doing today, Richie? Yeah, I was hoping to be there today, um, but I got a, a round two of Pfizer yesterday, and yeah. uh, it, it hit me. It, it hit me. So, um, yeah, just kind of dealing with some of the uh, the effects there. But other than that, all is well, and uh, looking forward to being in the studio next week. Oh, yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. Kaylee Nix, Andrew Cox both ha- had rough days after their second shot. I think a lot of people here and all across the country really – have had have had difficult times after second shot. Uh, I didn't. I know Dooner didn't. I mean, we were just fine. So maybe we we're just tougher than everybody else. I don't know. Could be. Could be. I might be I have some questions about what you're doing with your diet. Or, <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> I, I, kind of I, I think on me, the immune system. The, the, the I, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like uh, the, the 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 more ineffective your immune system is, the less side effects. But that is just my opinion. No scientific backing whatsoever. I will say, having having had a pretty rough go with COVID back in January, that uh, as bad as I'm, these symptoms that I have today are, are are nothing compared to that. So I'll gladly take this. I'm almost happy about this current <laughs> feeling because yeah. it prevents me from getting back to what I, what I went through previously. So yeah, it's just uh, part of it. It's uh, part of what we're dealing with here in the world these days and uh yeah so looking forward to getting into the studio next week but yeah one, one more time for dinner to look at my uh my stained glass window and give me a hard time about it <laughs> the window <laughs> on a window right so uh, this one is yeah. so window on a window yeah windows on windows on windows well we have a, a great show for you today we have your neighbor cody wallace the founder and ceo of hand up gloves uh, based here in Chattanooga, going to be on talking about really personal branding and, and and really using your strengths, using your personality in your branding and yourselves. I mean, that's part of your strengths and to, to run with that. I know a lot of people try to hide a little bit of their personality whenever uh, they're, they're in sales or, you know, they, they try to separate that personal side and that business side. Uh, but hiding your personality can be really detrimental, right, Richie? Absolutely. You know, and um, I used to have baseball coaches back when I was playing who would say, man, this guy off the field is the nicest guy you'll ever meet. But on the field, he's he's fierce and, you know, reckless and all this. And, um, you know, later on in my career, I talked to someone and said, listen, like who you are is who you are, whether you're on the field or off the field. You don't stop living and being you as a person, you know, based on what you're doing. So, um, yeah, you know, making like like showing that and and being transparent in that regard i think uh, resonates with people so uh that that's something that cody's done with building a company through social media and and through uh you know culture and branding and, and meshing all that in a way that's just hey here's here's what who we are and what we do and 
if you want to be a part, we're glad to have you. So yeah, looking forward to the conversation for sure. I am too. I, I, I'm really intrigued always with lifestyle brands. And I, I think gloves, I mean, sporting, you know, they, they do a lot of great things on social media. Uh, but, but you're talking about gloves for, for sporting, for, you know, for mountain biking, snowboarding or skiing, golf, just all kinds of, of different uses for that. So I, it's going to be very interesting. I can't wait to, to talk to Cody here in about 20 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's just like he said, it's gloves. But I think what he's built is something bigger than that. Like people want to be a part mm -hmm. of that movement or that culture. And um people are buying his gloves not only because they need gloves but like ooh, i want to be a, be a part of this group and that's um, essential yeah exactly so seeing that you know take place in the freight industry is a really interesting concept to me right because gloves are gloves freight is freight you know mm -hmm. it's good a lot of a lot of parallels a lot of parallel uh let, let's uh you know let, let's talk about our sponsor on this episode is surge transportation and Surge is the fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today. Based in Chicago and Jacksonville, they offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts, limitless territory, and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more uh, about Surge and joining their team, check out jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. Uh, so with that, let's move into our, our first segment. Now, we're starting a show, and we're moving to Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, live here on LinkedIn, and also tv.freightwaves.com and freightwaves.com as well. So 12 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays will be our new slot because we have a morning show that will be starting uh, a week from today, which is, which is very exciting, and that's going to be called Freight Waves Now. And it's going to cover the, the, the headlines. It is going to cover uh, different special segments in, in freight and logistics. So everyone's looking forward to that. And then, uh, and then uh, the, the dude, Michael Vincent, and Zach Strickland are starting a show that will be in this time slot. It's called BAMP. Um, and it should be, it should be exciting. I, I can sit around and, and watch uh, Vincent and, and, uh, and Zach argue all day. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that statement. Yeah, but our first segment here is is from the tipping point, right? And, and talking about personality and your strengths and cells. And it's Malcolm Gladwell. If you haven't read any of his books, uh, go read them because they are really fantastic, really phenomenal ideas in there. And he has one uh, one of his books, The Tipping Point, talks about the law of the few, and it, it talks about diffusion of ideas uh, throughout. A, how things go viral, right? Much like COVID-19 and uh, viruses, right? Things go viral for uh, a reason and social virality of an idea, maybe not a YouTube video, maybe so, maybe, maybe it does apply to YouTube videos as well. But if, if you're launching a new product or, or going to market with, with anything or starting your own book of business in sales, these are, are some of the, the personality types we all are. And I'm going to ask you, Richie, what you think your dominant personality type of these three are. If we can show that on screen right now, that would be great. There we go. We have the Mavens. And the Mavens love to share ideas, research, highlights. We have the connectors, those people that we know that know everybody, right? They're connected with everybody. And then the salespeople, the people who, who can influence decisions and make make people buy ideas. So we all, we all, you know, all of us have all three of these in us, but there's a dominant trait 
that, that we have, and we go to the next slide here, um, a little bit more explanations of who these are. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me on this one is, you know, you have connectors who know every know everyone, many social connections, make friends easily. You have the mavens, know everything, enjoy helping others, love what they do. Salespeople know how to sell and love what they do. I, I, I'm sure the connectors love what they do too, but for some reason they left that one out. So Richie, yeah, what do you think? Which one would you say is your dominant? I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I've definitely worn all three hats before, and mm -hmm. you know, currently I'm in the the sales role. Um, apart from knowing everything, I, I I feel like Maven may be where I am naturally. But um, you know, the, the more that I learn, the more I realize exactly the uh, magnitude of what I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's well, like I know, more, right? I I I, yeah. I think people perceive that they know everything, but maybe that's not your perception. Is that you know everything because you're always consistently you're you have intellectual curiosity. You're trying to come up with new ideas, new research, and then you like to share that with other people. You know, you don't yeah, really ask to anything with from that. it. Yeah, yeah. So, and the better you become at your dominant personality trait on these, the better you become at your secondaries, right? So if you're a maven, I, that's what I, I call myself too. And what other people have always called me too, or it is a maven, right? And the more I, I position myself as a maven, the more I share ideas, the more research I do, the better I become at sales, the more people I know, so my connections go up. And you, know, you, you really lean on that strength uh, of being a maven or whatever your dominant personality type is, and that enhances the other two categories there for you. Yeah, and I think it gets down to kind of root motivation as well. You know, and this is just my insight or my, my thought here, but I really want to help people. Like, mm -hmm. that's that is a the kind of the, the the underlying motivator for me is if I can provide a solution that's under underneath persuasion, that's underneath knowledge and everything else. It's what good are any of these things if they're not providing value and helping other people? So that's, you know, where I go to with Maven is if I can leverage, you know, information and what I learn and persuasion and all these other tools and, and aspects of me, et cetera, and use them to help others, that's what I'm after. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's helpful in, in kind of getting to why I, I uh, swing that direction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do too, because I mean, just like we're on the show, it's a sell show, but I, if I read something in a book, you know, the tipping point that I read probably three, four, five years ago, uh, I, I keep these ideas, I like to share them, I like to talk about them, and I, I like to move people forward that way, right? Sharing information. So I might go out and, and, and do some research, I might read, I might do all kinds of number of different things, I like to share that information around, because I think it's cool, and I want to share that, which kind of is, is good in the sales profession as well. And it's also good with building connections. And you, if you're a connector at heart, uh, the things that you do are very good about sharing information, about selling. And But I, I think everyone has that dominant kind of personality type. And the better you get at that, the better you're going to get at being your two secondary or tertiary uh, type of, of skill sets. But it really does help. Really, really does. Yeah, it's it's hundred percent, and you know, it's, it's kind of getting to knowing yourself and and having an awareness of your 
of who you are as a person and what your strengths are, what your weaknesses. And yeah, to your point, you know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and as soon as I'm learning something that's really fascinating to me, I bug all my friends. <laughs> and I'm making phone calls like, you won't believe what I read. This is incredible. Let me tell you all about this thing, whatever it might be. So uh, yeah, 100%, everything you're saying is spot on. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the law of diffusion, right? And we've been talking about this, Richie, uh, off camera, and I, I think it's one of the, the most important things to, to consider, right? If, if you're in sales or if you have a new business or an old business, really being able to, uh, to define where you are and where your product is, where your company is in the law of diffusion, and that is uh, your normal bell curve right there uh, for, for people who took stats and can remember stats. Uh, but what you have on the left, left side of the tail, you have the innovators. These are the people who are the entrepreneurs. They're the ones out there in the market. They're the ones who are evangelizing everything. Uh, they're kind of the, the mavens out there. Then you have the early adopters who uh, are, are looking for solutions, like actively looking for solutions, and they're going to take a risk if it means some reward. Then you have the early majority, right? So once they see see something starting to work and, and, and they'll jump on the idea. And then you have the late majority, right? Where, you know, it's, it's kind of pretty well tested out and then they're gonna be not the last ones in because we have the laggards, uh, which may never pick up the idea whatsoever. These are the people using rotary phones, fax machines, uh, you know, they're the ones who are sitting around saying, this is the way we've always done it. 100% and I, I think it's, to know whatever you're selling where does it fall right are you mm -hmm. selling something that's brand new to the market and you have to understand that the people that you want to go after are those innovators and that if you find yourself in a conversation with a laggard and you're brand new to market it's not going to go anywhere um and then also it's going to help you with with focusing your time where it makes sense right and then i think the other thing that's important here is the movement from early adopters to early majority. When you start getting into uh, you know, above 13.5% market share, that's when things really swing and you need to be ready for big growth and mm -hmm. uh, exponential growth and, and things to really take off. So I think it's uh, important for companies to understand where they are as well so that they can be ready for the tidal wave that is uh, the early majority and late majority. Yeah, and you said it perfectly there, there earlier, Richie, is that if you're a salesperson and you're selling, so, so you're, let, let's say you're selling 3PL brokerage, right? You're, you're a freight brokerage, you're selling this. Uh, there, there's nothing really spectacular about uh, or, or new about what you're selling. You're just trying to move loads. Yeah, you're, you're pretty well anywhere on that spectrum, right? You're, you're probably toward the, the back half, the, on the, the right side of the tail, right? You're probably wanting to, uh, to to do maybe early majority, but a lot of it's late majority. If you're a tech company, uh, if you're a freight tech company, if you have some kind of innovative idea that you want to push as a freight broker or a 3PL, then you're going to be on the, the early adopters, right? You're going to be on the early majority. So if you're selling something that is part of that, you want to stay away from laggards. You don't want to spend any marketing money on laggards. You don't want to spend any time on phone call with the laggards. Right, you want to focus on where you are in this normal distribution. Yeah, and if you are selling rotary phones for whatever reason, <laughs> yes. you do want to focus on laggards. You do. <laughs> yeah. yes. You don't the, want to talk to the, 
the, the early majority, right? Or the, uh, no. the the early adopters, right? You don't want to talk about early adopters. You don't want to sell fax machines to early adopters, right? Exactly. And I think it's important to also look at things from a risk perspective. You know, your your early adopters and the people on the far left of that bell curve, these are people that, uh, you know, are not risk adverse. They are, they're willing to take mm -hmm. risks. They are willing to uh, take chances. They don't need to see a firm return on investment necessarily. They can get behind an idea, right? Um, whereas when you see people that are uh, more on the, the late majority and the laggards, these are people that do need to have a certain level of uh, confidence. They need to have uh, see a firm return on investment. They need a lot of proof and so forth. And so I think if you are going to short circuit uh, that that bell curve, it's understanding that you need to provide more facts and ROI figures and so forth for the late majority and laggards more so than you'll need to for those early adopters who are going to be more driven by concepts and ideas and willing to take risk. You're exactly right. And right before, or, you know, one more time, let's throw up the, the, this, this bell curve of early adopters. I have one more thing to point out before we move to the next segment is that, you know, you have that, that risk and reward, right? So basically on the left side, you have competitive advantages, right? So if you're an early adopter, this new technology or this new product or service can really be a differentiation for you and a competitive advantage, right? And this is a very exciting time for any new product or, or company. You get into late majority and something kind of, of switches off and it becomes not so much a competitive, competitive advantage anymore, but a cost of doing business. And you want to, to, to get to that late majority and get to that cost of doing business that if, if a company doesn't have your product or service, then they are far behind the average company in your space, right? And that's where you go from, and I, I thought I'd thrown this in, I was going to save it for next week, but you have the BCG uh, chart, which we'll do next week, which shows you the cash cows, you know, that late majority product is your cash cow at that point, right? And uh, and the early adopter type of thing is your question mark or your, your superstar. So it's always a great thing to, to keep in mind when we're talking about that. Um, and as we're talking about it, let's talk about some freight tech. Let's talk about Sonar. What's happening this week in Sonar, Richie? Yeah, so um, you know, one thing that we've been you know, watching with all the, <clears throat> all the data in Sonar is trying to, trying to figure out why is it that you know volumes are through the roof? You know what's <clears throat> what's causing what's kind of some of the root causes for the current market conditions? And uh, you know the nice thing about Sonar is we have a lot of macroeconomic information as well, and we can overlay transportation data uh, against some of the macroeconomic information to start getting a glimpse into you know what's what's driving freight these days. And you know one chart that I thought was was interesting was looking at personal consumption on durable goods, which is essentially people buying stuff. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what you see here in the blue line. And, and what you'll see is that, you know, it's been pretty predictable for, you know, going back to 2017, 2018, it's just got this real steady increase up until the pandemic. You know, there's the, you see the dip that happened initially in April, and then it just skyrocketed. 
you know, basically people started buying stuff at an unbelievable rate. And we see that here, you know, we're looking at uh, basically from, from 2020, you know, spring 2020. So you take out that dip and you go on all the way up to that peak. That's a 20, almost a 25% increase. And, you know, that's four years of growth that's been uh, jam packed into basically a year or less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, or a little over a year, yeah, right around a year. So, yeah, you're you're condensing a lot of growth in, into a short period of time. Well, you know, everybody knows that stuff moves. You know, you need trucks and ships and containers and so forth to move stuff. Um, and this is kind of a, a thought that I've had is that you know, since the the onset of the pandemic, a lot of people are not going to Europe or Disney World or to you know games or bars and so forth, but. People don't know how to save money. <laughs> if they have money, they're <laughs> going to spend it. And so um, that focus of money is getting turned towards stuff. People are making more home improvements. Um, you know, my wife and I, we bought a new uh, kitchen range and it took like six months for it to get delivered. Um, and so a lot of people are at home and, and, and they're, they're focusing on, on buying things and all those things move. And, uh, you know, we can see tender rejections at the national level here in the green line. And you can see that, you know, tender rejections have been moving up right along with uh, the personal consumption expenditures ever since April, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's a pretty close relationship there. And so, um, yeah, and this is just showing us that people buying things has <laughs> has implications on transportation market, which is probably not something that's groundbreaking breaking information for anybody that's in transportation, but certainly seeing it in a graph format like this uh, does confirm those suspicions or those beliefs and, and can be helpful when having some of those conversations with uh, with shippers as to, you know, why the, the state of the, of the industry is what it is today. Yeah, excellent points. Rob Bussy says, great, hi guys, great show, Rob. Thanks for watching as always. I, so so we, we have this huge increase in durable goods, right? And if we take it before the pandemic to what it is now, it was what? It was 15, 16% growth in a matter of a year? Yeah. So, I mean, we just looking at that right? line there, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, I think it was 15 to 16, actually. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was, I was looking at a little bit off at, at 25, but yes, e- even still, that's a massive it uh, is growth massive. percentage. It, it's massive. Uh, and yeah. and I'll, I'll tell you why is because transportation, kind of like the oil markets, moves at the margins, right? So you're talking about 15% growth in the matter within a year compared to probably 15% growth over a number of different years to, to get to the, the point right before the pandemic. So that type of demand entering the market will move prices and disrupt the market more than a 15% disruption, right? It's going to be exponential. If you look at it like the oil market, right, say say a 3% reduction in supply isn't going to move the price of oil 3%, right? It's probably going to move at 30%. And it's the same thing with trucking. These, these moves that or I mean, 15% over a year in durable goods uh, sales is massive. And capacity just won't be able to, to keep up. Yeah, what you're seeing here is the tsunami of freight, mm-hmm. right? You see, you see back in April that initial dip, and that's that's like the water getting sucked out to the ocean, you know. <laughs> and then you see the tidal wave of freight that comes roaring back oh, yeah. after that, and um, that's that's basically what you're seeing in chart format here is uh, the tsunami of freight that has hit the industry. 
It is. It, it is. And that, uh, that explains, it has so much explanatory power uh, of what we're going through. And we will see how spending adapts um, after everyone gets, or most people get vaccinated and we try to return to normal. We'll, we'll see exactly what happens to durable goods. It'll be very interesting. I know everyone has their eyes on that right now. 100%, right? You know, once it, it, and it, there's so much up in the air with that. I read an article today uh, that said herd immunity might not be possible anymore yes. with all the different variants and that, you know, we may just be kind of mitigating and dealing with COVID for a number of years. Um, but the, the thing is, is that there could be a new kind of normal that we return to where, you know, travel starts opening up. And mm -hmm. from an economic standpoint, people are able to go to games and go back to bars and so forth. And we just deal with COVID to a certain extent. So um, regardless if if the, the focus of consumer spending shifts, you know, away from durable goods to a certain extent and back towards travel and, you know, ball games and bars and so forth. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens to transportation and, you know, with imports and, and everything else. So uh, certainly something worth keeping an eye on. The nice thing is with Sonar, you know, all this information that we have on the transportation side, it updates every 24 hours. So our users are going to be some of the first people to, to see those notable movements in the marketplace and be able to respond accordingly. Definitely will. Definitely. Let's talk about consumer behavior and, and consumers and, and gloves, active lifestyles with, uh, with, with Cody here. And uh, before we bring Cody on, let's roll his, one of his commercials. Fantastic marketing. Cody, thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This is exciting. Fantastic. Uh, can you uh, introduce yourself and your, your company to our audience here? Yeah, so I'm Cody Wallace. I started Hand Up Gloves, um, started back in 2014. And as you kind of saw in the commercial, we make uh, gloves for a variety of different sports. We started out in the cycling uh, mountain bike industry, and now we make uh, golf gloves, snow gloves, also some, a few pieces of alternative apparel, what we like to call it, um, for those uh, industries as well. I don't know, Cody. George says alternative apparel is a strong statement. I feel like they're making a comeback to get more in the mainstream, but um, that's that's just my own feelings. Yep, we do. We we have released a pair of George super stretchy, um, made to be worn on and off the bike, the golf course if your golf course allows that type of thing. Um, yeah, we just like to have fun, as you kind of saw with the commercial there. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, we first started with uh, mountain bike gloves and putting a lot of uh, different designs, uh, florals, tie-dyes, stuff like that, 
uh, I found a need in the uh, mountain bike industry to kind of bring that um, to fruition. Uh, just by looking for a pair of gloves myself, I didn't see anything I liked. Everything was just basic standard colors, black, red, blue. So yeah, just started have a little bit of design background. Um, and so just started playing around with a few patterns and textures and started making some, uh, found a factory to work with overseas and started making our own gloves. So yeah, Cody, you know, go go ahead, Richie. I was just going to say that the thing that amazes me the most, or one of the things that amazes me the most about the company is, is that you all seem to really blossom and flourish and grow from social media. It was like a grassroots effort where you created a, a social media following almost out of thin air and and built a company on on top of that where uh you know people that that wear those gloves and that apparel um you know they're they're proud of it they feel like they're part of a community almost and they're they're part of something bigger than just riding bikes and so forth um thought you might be able to speak to to how you you built that how you pulled that off and um you know anything that you can share about doing that building a company through social media would be would be really helpful yeah, so uh, the the company started in 2014, and that's about the time Instagram kind of kicked off or was coming becoming popular. And so uh, we kind of jumped on that train, and um, I noticed something right away. Uh, one, we needed to make good content. So uh, you know, people come to your page; they want to see good, somewhat professional uh, photographs, and um, I also noticed that it wasn't just producing our own content, but it was also going out and being part of the Instagram community. And as people probably know, on Instagram, you use hashtags and you click on those hashtags and it kind of groups you into these smaller communities of people who like similar things based on the hashtags they use. So um, it's just a super powerful tool. And, and myself and then the team later on was able to uh, you know, click on these hashtags and go like treat Instagram like a cocktail party. We just get into those hashtags, into those groups. We would comment, we would like, we would basically build virtual relationships online through Instagram. Um, and, you know, so that was kind of our tactic from the beginning is just be involved in the community and then have something for that community to kind of rally around. And so that was our own media so producing the media that we liked and also you know we're about um at first cycling but we wanted it to be a little bit more fun so you know showcasing kind of the more fun side and and having a couple drinks and and whatnot while we're out there either skiing or, or riding our bikes so um yeah just using the power of instagram hashtag is really where uh, all of our, our growth came from, and it takes time. It's not just you post a picture and people come to your page and you, you, you know, see what you're all about. Like we spend, and we still spend to this day, hours every day on Instagram, on other social media platforms that pop up, you know, figuring out the tools and diving into those different niche communities on those platforms and trying to be a part of it. So we have Rob Bussey here says he's a maven. Uh, Lamar Stewart says he's a connector. I don't know if you you saw the the first uh, first few minutes of the, the the episode this week. We were talking about Maven salespeople and connectors. Uh, did you see that, Cody? 
I didn't. Oh, okay. So uh, from the tipping point, there, there's three dominant personality types. This maven, people who like to share information, salespeople, of course, who can influence, and then connectors who just seem to know everybody. I mean, uh, what did you think you, uh, what, what do you think your dominant personality type is? I would say I'm probably a connector. It's kind yeah. of that middleman. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's that's, that's always good to have connectors. So. Uh, you said some of your inspiration for creating uh, your, your company was you couldn't find the, the product that, that you wanted, so you decided to go out and make it yourself, right? I, I think that's, yep. a, that's a, a big story for, for most entrepreneurs, right? That they want something that they can use, couldn't find it, so they go out and, and make, it, make it themselves. I mean, what, what other inspirations, I mean, what really moved you uh, to not only create it for yourself, but to, to really get out there and sell it? Um, I think actually community was part of that. Uh, at the time I was heavy into riding bikes and I rode bikes almost every day of the week with different groups around, uh, just the city we live in. And, and, uh, amongst those groups were all very similar people and, you know, asking around, do you know, this guy, do you know that guy? Um, no one kind of knew each other or they knew of each other, but never had hung out. And here I was week in and week out. I would go meet this group of 10 friends and then the next day go ride with another group of 10 friends. All had the same interests, but never really like talked or interacted with one another. And I just thought that was funny. Um, so it was kind of and from the very beginning, too, we had these ideas of throwing local events and, you know, if someone saw the glove you're wearing on the trail, um, you would instantly connect with them because it was just kind of this like wild outlandish brand that at the time was new and and would actually stand out on the trail as well. So, again, back to your uh, connector, Maven, I definitely feel like I would be a connector because um, it it's never been also about me or, or hand up hand up is just a tool that hopefully connects other people on the trail. Yeah, that's great. And you know, one thing that I feel like you've done well uh, at is, is building a brand and a culture and really meshing the two together. Um, and to your point, you know, you, you were successful in pulling that off here locally, but hand ups much bigger than just a local company. Now you, you all have gloves and, and products that are and, and customers all over the country. How did you bridge that gap where you you built this local culture and brand identity and then uh, you know blasted it out to the whole country? Yeah, um, just leveraging other communities. So we you know find these little pockets of people who are like minded um, in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, uh, out west in uh, St. George, Utah, places like that. Um, we find these like minded people. A couple of them start buying the gloves. We find out that they have their own, like a good community of their own and just really being able to support them. Um, as soon as these people start buying gloves from us online, their bike shops in the area start noticing the gloves they're wearing. They start bringing them in. Um, and that all that just step by step, customer by customer has led from one thing to another um, and ultimately has landed us a uh, deal with the biggest uh, bike distributor in uh, North America or in the U United States and then also one in Canada. Um, so really just leveraging these individual small communities um, and that leveraging those people really was in part of Instagram. It was just 
looking at the different hashtags, seeing different people using our products, and then noticing through Instagram, really, that a lot of these people lived in similar areas. And so kind of rallying around them and let, and kind of giving them the tools to help us promote it within their own community. That is a, that's a, that's a way to do it, really. You know, I mean, no, no one else can sell your product better than your customer, right? So there's yeah. customer testimonials and, and posting on, on, on Instagram is just, uh, is just the best testimonial you can get. Uh, as you grew your company and kind of started, I guess when you started out and started growing your company, what are some of the, the valuable lessons or maybe the value, most valuable lesson uh, you learned during that process that you, you always give? That's one piece of your advice that you always give other people. Yeah, I would say the biggest piece of advice is just, um, you know, stay true to the, the brand you set out to create. And, um, you know, you never know who's watching or who that next customer is going to be. And so you just treat everybody as an equal and just, um, you know, try to promote yourself. You can't make a second first impression. So you always want to bring your best to the table uh, from the very beginning. Um, and a lot of times uh, these customers who have come by or, or ordered online. I mean, trying to treat them like we have our very first customer is hard, but it has paid dividends in the end by that customer being maybe this, uh, you know, one of the buyers at one of these big um, distributors. So the one thing, uh, Cody, is it, it seems like, you know, you were talking about building these communities and you've definitely, you found a niche and you really jumped into that niche, but from there, you've started expanding into other niches, whether it's, uh, you know, apparel or snow sports or golf, you know, um, and I'm curious, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll back up and say that a lot of the, the companies that, that or some of the companies that may be listening here may have a focus in certain niches where they are really doing well and may be curious or looking to expand into other other markets or other niches or just looking to grow overall. Uh, curious to, to hear your thoughts on how you went about deciding to grow and move into these other avenues and other verticals and, and what that thought process was like. Yeah, uh, moving into other sports and the, the golf and snow, which we've moved into, came because we saw we could bring our designs and flavor and kind of our our community atmosphere to those um to those sports uh you know we sponsored pro mountain bikers pro cyclists but by no means are we a just focused on the the professionals in those sports uh we think a lot of other companies are just focused on the professionals in these other sports and we wanted to kind of be the glove of the everyday person so that's why we've kind of branched out into these other sports um in terms of apparel we've moved into that space a little bit here and there uh just offering items that we see no one else really bringing to market that we wanted to see in market that uh fit with um our brand as well as the sports we brought them to market for. Yeah, do you, do you, you, know, you, you want to, uh, to, to really make it viral through normal, everyday people? Uh, with that said, do you have any celebrities or, or, or you know, famous mountain bikers or, or golfers that have pushed your brand as well? Yeah, um, on the mountain bike side, we have uh, some pretty big people, uh, 
this guy, Phil Guyman, he's a uh, road cyclist, pro road cyclist. He's raced in the Tour de France a bunch of times. Uh, Nico Malali is a downhill um, World Cup racer. He's also the U.S. national champion, I think, now for about three years. Um, if you're into cycling at all, those names might might ring a bell. Um, on the golf and snow side, those are only a couple years um, old so far. And with those, we're, they're starting basically the same way we started hand up um, from kind of just the general consumer up. Uh, we have some good people who have great followings uh, within their communities, and that's where it really starts. Um, and we saw that on the mountain bike side or the cycling side in general. Uh, it started small. It started with your everyday person who is just respected in their community, you know, ended up with a pair of gloves. We realize it he or she is very good in their community and, and looked up to. And from there, it's just grown from, you know, the next person, the next person to then these professionals hearing about us and wanting to be part of it. It's always a good thing when you have the pros coming to you versus you going to the pros, right? <laughs> and, and saying, please wear my stuff. And the pros were saying, no, what, how do I get your stuff? Like, that's a great time. You're building that demand. Um, yeah. And one thing, another, uh, you know, question for you and another way I want to kind of pick your brain, you know, there's a lot of people that are building freight brokerages on the side or trying to get uh, companies up and going, you know, possibly, you know, with their significant other or just as a side gig and trying to build it to a full-time gig and so forth. Um, what advice do you have? Because, you know, you started this company with your wife, Jamie, and the two of you have grown it to its, its current state. Uh, what advice do you have for those people who are trying to get to the grind and, and build something from scratch that uh, ends up being a full-time job? Um, so, yeah, as you said, Richie, we, we started it for the first four or five years. It was our side hustle. Um, and I think the last two years of my day job, we called it day job. Um, I, every vacation day I took was just to go to events or whatever for the company. So, um, it is a grind. The biggest thing is just, again, going back to your brand, like what distinguishes you from everyone else. And if you just stick to that, um, it will, it will take some time, but you will eventually, you know, become successful. Um, a lot of times right now, uh, you know, we're new still in golf and in, uh, in the snow area, but we know what we stand for. We've seen this in bikes and it does take people a little while to come around to kind of see things, I guess, the way you want them to see it or the way your, your company is set up. Um, for Jamie and I, it was just a, a side gig and it was four or five years of just, you know, almost sleepless nights, just trying to, you know, figure out the next way we're going to uh, distinguish ourselves from the competition. And I think that's just what you have to do. You got to, was it Seth Godin said 10,000 hours to become an expert in something? You just got to put in that time um, and it will eventually come. And that's part of the fun, right? You're expanding into golf yeah. and, and other sports and and getting getting that brand out there and penetrating that market that's the fun part of it. Richie and I were talking about this last week is that the grind, you know, it's it, the, the grind is fun if you enjoy it, right? If you enjoy it, it's not a grind whatsoever. It's only a grind if you're doing something you don't enjoy. 
right? I mean, that's, that's kind of where it breaks down. So those sleepless nights sound bad, but they really aren't, are they? No, absolutely. You're right. Um, it's a grind and that, you know, I look back, I don't, it doesn't feel like it's been six years. It's, it's actually went by super quick. Um, I can't believe how much we've accomplished. Uh, I can't even imagine that what the next six years are going to be, but yeah, it's, if, if you're doing it for the right reasons, then it's not a grind. If you're just doing it to make an extra buck, it's probably not the best thing, but if you truly believe and you have something that sets you apart from someone else or the competition, um, you know, you just keep staying with it. It is frustrating at times, you know, people might not be able to see it the way you see it, but eventually you just keep putting in that time. Uh, you'll be successful. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And it, I'm sure some of our, our listeners are going to want to know, but have you all felt any constraints from, from all, from everything that's happening in the world of supply chain these days? Has that impacted you all on the, uh, on the gloves and apparel side of things? Yeah, I mean, just as your chart was showing there before I I hopped on the call, uh, ports were backed up. Um, we actually switched over to air uh, flying stuff in, air freight, a lot of our products. But we're lucky, you know, our products are gloves. They're, they're uh, pretty lightweight. We have some margin to spare, so why not just fly some products in? Uh, right now, it seems like in the bike industry or any outdoor industry, having any inventory is just better than anything. So it's worth a little premium to maybe fly something in for us right now um, just to have it on the shelves. And we've seen tremendous growth just having inventory in stock. So, uh, so, so Katie, a little bit off topic. We're not really off topic. What, what's your favorite bike trail around Chattanooga? Uh, Raccoon Mountain Trails uh, out, you know, slightly outside of town off 24. Yeah. So we have an event coming up, F3, the Future of Freight Festival, November 8th through 10th. And I would invite all our, you know, our audience, all our listeners, if you're coming to that and you like mountain biking, to hit you guys up and, and find trails, get your gloves, get your gear, and, um, and, and go from there. Absolutely. If you come to town, you bring a bike or, I mean, there's places to rent bikes around here. Um, we reach out to us. I think my email will be here in this yeah. show. Uh, just uh, reach out to us. We're happy to take anybody out on the trail. We love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've been out on the trail with Cody before and it's, uh, yeah, you, you just gotta, you gotta be ready. If he's in a good mood, you can, you'll stay around. Otherwise you might just leave. He's a quick one. Um, so yeah, uh, Cody, any other advice, you know, for, for, for sales, you know, for B2B sales, I know that you all have landed some, some deals with some big distributors. Um, what was that process like? How did you get in touch with those people? How did you close those deals and, and make that happen? Yeah. Um, again, we've, we we're kind of unique and we've started from, you know, kind of the general consumer with everything. I'm just, that's kind of been my vision the whole time. I, I kind of know who my audience is. I know who I want to reach out to. I know the people who want our gloves and are similar in that way. Um, and so just going from the bottom and working our way up from the general consumer to these professional athletes, to the local bike shops, to then, you know, building that kind of foundation for us was key to then 
when that um, time came to where we really wanted to expand, uh, to reach out to these distributors, of course, they've heard about us. Um, you know, we know who they are, but it put us in, in the same room on kind of like level playing field. I mean, they're much, much bigger than we are, but we have a product that was in demand at that point, And that was just a good place to be in going to the table. Uh, so really um, going to the table kind of at B2B sales uh, for us, and I'm sure for everybody out there is just all about having something that, that that's in demand, you know, having uh, your product that might be desired by everyone else, um, but you're in control of it. You're the, you're the only one they're going to get it through. That, that's interesting. Uh, it, it's interesting going through distributors and building up e-commerce. Where do you see the, the, the bulk of your growth coming from? Uh, is, it, is it through these distribution and wholesaling channels, uh, getting on retail shelves, or uh, is e-commerce still your, your bread and butter? Um, we've seen a huge amount of growth in this past year with uh, B2B sales. And so um, right now, it, it used to be, I would say two years ago, it was all online, not all online, but a lot, 75% online, 25% B2B sales. Um, as of this year, probably last month, I, I would say it's about 50-50 at this point. So yeah, there's, uh, what are the key differences, do you think? But between selling to the distributors and, and selling e-commerce, e what are some of the the things that the advice that you'd give someone who who has yeah. to make that decision as well? Um, selling B two B is just uh, you know you're working with a few select customers, so just really building that relationship with them. Selling retail, of course, is just you know across anybody in the world um, can buy our gloves online and we ship it to them, and so. With B2B, you really have this uh, relationship you have to nurture and, um, you know, keep healthy. Whereas retail, you know, some customers, you know, you'll never or most of your customers on retail, you'll never know who they are unless you pass them on a trail or something. So uh, it's, it's really key on the B2B side just to nurture these relationships um, and do what's right. I mean. Sometimes you might lose a little margin here or there, but ultimately um, our goal is to get our gloves on people's hands and they're one of the best ways that we can do that. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it makes it makes sense. Uh, you know, you're keeping everything uh, poured through the filter of, you know, your values and who you are and what you're trying to achieve. Um, yeah, any, any last thoughts or like recommendations for people in the freight industry or people that are you know in the trenches of sales on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it be those one-off sales or you know the larger B2B conversations. Um, I think you might bring a unique perspective as somebody that's outside of the logistics industry, but has successfully grown a business. And so, uh, yeah, just curious to hear any any recommendations or feedback that you might have. Um, just uh, relationships and, um, you know, building that demand if you, if you can. I know a lot of sales jobs, you probably uh, don't control the demand or even supply of it. So uh, really, I guess what it boils down to is just one-on-one -on -one relationships and you never know who's going to be your next customer. And really, you don't know who you're talking to. I mean, the person you're talking to right now could be uh, your next customer, or he could be that he or she could be the person that's buying for a much bigger customer. So just uh, 
continuing to you know treat everybody as an equal and just build those relationships as you can. Sage business advice from Cody Wallace, the founder and CEO <laughs> of Hand Up Gloves. Cody, tell our audience where to go buy these gloves we've been showing for the last uh, half hour. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's at handupgloves.com. Handupgloves.com. And you'll see some jorts on there on, on the front page. <laughs> our product, our, our, our uh, broadcast engineer uh, Cody Mathis has been, you know, before the show, he was trying to get me a, uh, did to get a hookup for him for some gloves. So I will tell him to, uh, to to find him online or just go down here off Main Street, right here in Chattanooga. Yep. Yeah, here in Chattanooga, we're off East Main Street. Perfect. Thank you so much again, Cody, for your time. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Thanks. Bet. Thanks, Cody. So, Richie, what is your your key takeaway from that? Yeah, you know, it's again, um, you know, it reminds me back to, you know, back to our conversation with with Omar from, <clears throat> Omar from Surge uh, and some of our other conversations as well, Kevin, but people that really know who they are and what their niche is and what they're trying to accomplish. They have a very clear vision of where they fit in, in the landscape mm -hmm. and uh, that allows them to go out and and achieve a lot of great things. You know, they're not wondering, they're not distracted by this or that or the other. They know who they are. They know what audience they're trying to reach. They know what they're trying, the value that they're trying to provide. Uh, and that allows them to go out and do it. Um, and that's a really so, yeah, good comparison. It's, it's a really good comparison with, with Cody and Omar from Surge Transportation because Omar is in the spot market, right? He's got seven categories of the spot market uh, that they're building a business off of. Cody is gloves, branching out, you know, in different segments, right? Different sports, different segments, product improvement, product expansion, but doing it in a very focused way. Hundred percent, you know, and and they're they're focused on their clients. You know, mm -hmm. Cody's talking about building communities and having it be something bigger than just gloves, right? And he's really wanting to pour into the the quality of life for those people that are in those communities uh and you you hear that from some people in the freight industry as well where it's like they are honestly truly trying to provide service to their clients to take care of their freight and they take it seriously that their clients are trusting them with their freight and and they recognize uh that dynamic and they don't take it lightly um, so yeah, it's a, it's a combination, right, of knowing who you are and who your market is, but mm -hmm. then also keeping your focus on on your clients and treating them as the hero of the story. And you can build trust. You can build trust by showing off your personality as well. Building a community, making uh, making something. You know, if you're a freight brokerage, right, you can still show off that personality uh, and attract shippers through uh, the community, right. That, that you have the same vision, the, the same kind of, uh, you know, values and, and the same objective, right, is to, 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 to build something that is world-class, uh, that operates, that gets things there on time at a, a great price. Yeah. And, you know, you heard Cody say it early on. He's like, we don't take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> He's yeah, like, yeah. we're... We are who we are. We're having fun. Uh, they've, you know, created this culture of, you know, you saw it. Everyone's drinking beer, having a good time. They're playing sports, but it's for the everyday person, not necessarily the uh, the the pro that needs to train and, and have a, a dedicated diet and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 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 growing that culture and and not 
taking yourself too seriously and at the same time really investing into your into your clients really investing in your clients uh you know and, and that's great for outside sales right you, you have to invest in your clients uh, if you're a sales manager or run a sales team, you need to invest in your salespeople as well. And some of, that, some of that's having fun, right? Having a barbecue, mm -hmm. having having things that, uh, that that has a personality, right? You, you get your stuff done, uh, you, you go after it, you, you grind it out, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you have to have your personality as well. Yeah, and th and what what he's doing through that is creating demand, right? Mm -hmm. Like when he's building this this community, people want to be part of that community. And now he has pros coming to him saying, how do I get your stuff? I want your stuff. He's not having to, you know, email all these pros and say, will you please wear my things? <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> he's gone from the ground up. And I think it's the same way in freight. You know, that's a great sign of success is if you can have shippers and companies coming to you saying, how can I get you to handle my freight? So, um, you know, that's, that's definitely something to keep, a, keep an eye on and, and a, a sign that things are going in the right direction. It is. It's always a grassroots building it, starting small, and that's that's the opportunity that you have if you do a side hustle too. It is an opportunity for for getting it right, starting small, not making huge mistakes uh, that cost you a lot of money. Because usually, uh, when, when you when, when you start your, your first business or you know you bootstrap, it's all your money or your your, your family's money, things like that. So you want to be very careful and very precise, and it gives you time to. Uh, learn what you don't know because there's a lot that you don't know uh, when it comes to marketing, right? There, there's, you know, we, we see the end results of that, um, but we don't see the the, the grind it took uh, to, to first start seeing that that uh, success and reaching that tipping point, right? Getting past the uh, the early adopters and the early majority, and and branching off from there. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, it's great stuff, Kevin. And it and is I, great I, stuff. I feel like Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, no, it, it, we have about a minute left here, so I'll I'll wrap it up here. Uh, talk it. about drone waves uh, that we did Friday. If you didn't watch drone waves, you need to watch it. It's really cool, great video, great technology, uh, great economics. I, I learned a great deal watching drone waves on on Friday. We talked about that last mile and getting your hamburgers, your cheeseburgers, your vaccine, plus everything else at a certain point in time. And it's, it's getting there closer and closer. Uh, we talked to NASA as, as well as uh, some, some great startup uh, companies that just recently raised their, their next rounds of funding to go out and pursue that. Uh, but Cody Wallace, thanks again for, for joining us on Put That Coffee Down. And next week we'll be on a live Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, have a great week, make some margin. I got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I got expensive, cause winning's expensive. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting down the stars.